Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 95 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 13th of January 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, part 27. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We pick it back up this morning in our series on contending for the faith. We've been looking for really this past year at the church, the glorious church, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a vital, important subject. Right now, as we are looking particularly at the operation of that New Testament church, we looked for a few weeks leading up to the Christmas time on the ministry of worship as one of the functions of the New Testament church. And as we looked at those things concerning worship, we covered a number of topics as we looked at the elements of our times of worship together and the biblical basis for those, and the biblical grounding that all of it needs to be based in. We turn our hearts to a second function now of the church and one certainly that is very dear to my heart, and that is the ministry of witness. Now, as we continue looking at these functions of the church, one thing that I stated uh, that as we were beginning to look at the ministry of worship, that as we look there, that many times that one kind of stood out in our minds the most because we think of it because of the amount of time that we spend together in worship. Because there's nothing else that we really do as a group that we spend as much time together with everybody together at one time. We find that just because that that's what we think of, and we think of spending our most time there, I'm convinced that I would be correct in saying that it's not the function that we really should spend most of our time involved in. Now, we've discussed the importance of worship, its elements, the essential goal in everything that we're doing there, not to satisfy us, not to entertain us, not to please us, but to glorify God. We talked about the fact that as we look into the Word of God, it's an absolute fact that we were created to glorify God. We find that even in some of the oldest catechisms out there that that is listed as man's chief end, to glorify God. And we find that as we get to the end, we said in, in the Revelation, there we are all before the throne glorifying God through eternity. And so I can't overstate the importance of true worship. But in fact, I believe that if we really tried to somehow make us out of chart and place the functions of the church in some kind of order of importance, it would be a very dangerous thing to attempt. 
You see, I believe that all of the biblical functions of the church are necessary for a church to be a New Testament church. God has laid out the operation of the church, the functions that should be taking place there. When we begin to remove anything that has that biblical foundation, that is a biblical function that is laid down for us, then can we really any longer call it a New Testament church? You see, as we turn our attention today to this second function of the church, just as it was with worship, it would be, I believe, impossible, completely impossible, for me to overstate the importance of this function of the church. As a matter of fact, without it, the church would never have been born. Without it, the church would not even exist in any fashion whatsoever. Without it, the church would literally die and cease to exist if this function were forfeited. And I can even say that without it, the church could never possibly fulfill its purpose here upon earth. I want you to think back for a moment. We've covered a lot of things covering the church. Think back on that journey for just a moment. As we began to look at the church, we talked about the, both the defining and the design of a New Testament church. And if you recall, when we defined the church according to Scripture, the Scripture gave us a few descriptives to try to give us a better idea of what the church really is. It's not just an organization. You know, it's ironic that even the world knows this sometimes. As we were visiting yesterday in the door-to-door -door work and one of the homes when we were invited into it and we we're talking, you know, these were non-Christian people. Because we talked about how we as a Christian church in this really, quickly changing community that we're in, how we could be effective to do what God wants us to be here for. You know, even they as non-Christians, they even made a statement, something to along the facts of we, you could always just turn it into a social club like a lot of the others have done. You know? That way you can please the Christians and the Muslims and everybody else alike, and there'll be nothing focused upon God, I guess. You know, even they know that that's not what a church is supposed to be. A lost person knows, but yet that's what many churches are today. The scriptural definition of a church, we looked at many things for that, but remember those descriptives. First of all, believers. A biblical New Testament church is made up of believers. Born again, baptized believers, living their lives for the Lord and by the Bible, by the Word of God, and they have united themselves together and they're working together for one cause. They're working together as a body. 
a body, not just any body, but the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. One body made up of all these individual members, each one doing their part so that that body as a whole works together as it should and is a true representation of Jesus Christ himself. It is the body of Christ. There are lots of bodies in this world, but there's only one body of Christ. And that body of Christ is represented in the local New Testament churches. Jesus Christ himself being the head of that church. Believers, a body. And thirdly, we saw that it was a building, one that was being built by Jesus Christ himself. Not out of brick and mortar like our buildings that we call churches, but of people, of these believers, believing people that are called out of the world and they're placed in this building that he's building, a spiritual house, the church of the living God. And fourthly, a bride. <laughs> a bride is always a, a beautiful picture. But this, the most beautiful of this, the bride of Christ. The only perfect bride that's ever been. We find that that bride being joined to the groom, the Bible itself saying no more twain but one. One with the Lord Jesus Christ. God is giving us some beautiful pictures there and he's, he's trying to, to show us some very important truths and everything that we have seen points to the fact that the church should be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be. When people see the church in this world, that they're seeing Christ. And if that church truly is a New Testament church, then it's not there just as somebody that is doing their thing, but it's there fulfilling the purpose of Christ. His building. His body, his bride, made up of believers that he has birthed into his family. You see, if we go right back for almost three years now to, to all of these things that we've looked at concerning these fundamental foundational truths of our faith, on that journey, we find one thing always in the end. It always comes back to Jesus. <laughs> it always comes back to Jesus Christ. Now, if you want me to hang around there for a while, I hope you packed your lunch. <laughs> We've covered a lot of things. But in all the different topics, all the different subjects, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, we continue to build. There's so many verses that we could turn to in God's Word. But I want to give you just a few. Because we do, for some reason, need to be reminded sometimes <laughs> that in eternity past, 
Try to take your mind there. In eternity past, before the foundation of this world was even laid, God had a plan. He had a plan of redemption for you that didn't even exist yet. Jesus Christ, he manifests that plan. He took on humanity. He came to this earth. It was all part of God's plan of redemption. He came to fulfill a purpose. It wasn't just because he didn't have anything better to do or he wanted to leave heaven for a while. He came here specifically for a purpose. And we must never, in all that we do as Christians and as a church, never lose sight of that glorious truth. You see, our faith is not built upon some kind of a religious system. There are many religions out there that are built upon their systems and they've got it all lined out. Our faith is built upon a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came for a purpose. He left his spirit here. We saw when we studied it for a specific purpose. He's built his church for a specific purpose and you and I are here to fulfill that purpose in Christ. We have no other reason to be here, and that is no exaggeration. If that purpose weren't still here, we'd all be in heaven, praise God. We're here, and we have a purpose. And what is that purpose? Let me give you a few verses. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Listen, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did he come? He came for a purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew chapter, chapter 20, verse 28, he said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life, a ransom for many. He came for a purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. How could he save them? By giving his life as a ransom. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writing to young Timothy, the young preacher, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, he said. He came into this world to save sinners. Yes, he was the greatest teacher that ever walked. Yes, he was the greatest example that ever existed on this earth. Yes, he performed the miracles that no one else could do. He was God in the flesh, but that's not why he came. He came to die on a cross to shed his blood, to pay the ransom price, to save wretched sinners. That was God's plan from eternity past. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he's left his spirit. That's why he's built his church. That's why you and I are here today. That's the purpose behind it all. 
We lose track of that sometimes. We get so engulfed with all these other things that take up our time and take up our lives. John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, And ye know that he, speaking of Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Why was he manifested? Why, why did he come? Why was he here to take away our sins? He says a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 14 of 1 John, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's why God sent him. <laughs> And you could look verses after verse. And you know, that same Jesus, when he stood there with his apostles before he get back, and we'll look at some of this later, the Father sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Do you know what Jesus said as he was getting ready to leave? He said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. John chapter 20, verse 21, I think. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Words, I'm sending you out in the same way for the same purpose that my Father sent me. Do we get the message? Does it sink in? Do we really grasp? Is it clear to us why Jesus Christ came to this earth? Is it clear to us what the Christian faith is all about? Is it clear to us why we're still here, why he's built his church, why he's left us his spirit? Do we understand the mission that Jesus Christ was on? Why he came to this earth? Is there any doubt from even just what we've seen thus far? Is there any doubt that our mission and the mission of the church is the mission of Christ. There shouldn't be any doubt. Our mission is the same as his was. It's almost too simple. You see, there is no excuse not to understand that the church exists for the same purpose of Christ, to see the lost saved. I repeat again, I believe with all my heart that it would be impossible for me to overstate the importance of this function of the church, the ministry of witness is essential to a New Testament church. Matter of fact, I've made similar statements about other things, but I honestly believe that I'm completely and totally correct in saying that a church that is not a witnessing church is simply not a New Testament church. It can't be. You cannot be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be the church that he's designed, that he's built, that is laid out for us in the New Testament and not be a witnessing church. You see, I don't think that it distinguishes between 
the individual church member winning souls, the church as a whole corporately, as we had our outreaches yesterday, winning souls, as we have heard from one of our missionaries this morning, the church being able to help support these missionaries, these that are sent to the farthest ends of the world. You see, it's the winning of souls from the closest person to you to the farthest person on the face of the earth. That is our purpose. That's what we're here for, and that's what we need to be involved in, the ministry of witnessing. It is a function of the church, and every believer should be part of a church, and it should be part of that ministry if it was the mission of Christ, it's the mission of the church, and therefore it's your mission. You see, I want to give you a couple of simple thoughts. If that's not enough, I mean, that in itself, that in itself should seal it for us, just these bringing together. You see, God's Word doesn't contradict as it builds. It builds line upon line, precept upon precept. You see, first of all, I want you to just realize that the ministry of witness is crucial for the church, crucial. Turn with me, if you would, to our, our passage that we've read a number of times, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Remember, as we read these words, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Folks, this was the birthing of the first local New Testament church here in Jerusalem. It starts according to verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. It starts with the salvation of of souls. What verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Started with salvation of souls, finishes with the salvation of souls. And I want you just to notice those words. The Lord added to the church for a specific reason here for a specific purpose. 
the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's why he brought the people into the church. That's why he added to the church such as should be saved. We find that verse 41, they gladly received the word. We find that as they continue to minister in that word, and we'll look at some of those other things as we have already, we find that all these souls were added that they might be saved. Remember, Jesus is building his church. He does it through the word. He does it by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other means for anyone to be saved other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can they believe unless they hear? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God that will give them clearly the truth, the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and that it's only through him that those sins can be forgiven. You see, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It started in Jerusalem, started with the Jew, but it's to everyone that believeth. The power of God unto salvation. That great familiar passage that we often refer to as the Resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory that, what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The witness of the gospel is the means by which Jesus birthed his church. The church can only be built by believers, and believers can only be birthed through the gospel. Folks, no witness of the gospel, no church. That first church was birthed when they believed the word and were baptized, when they were saved. The Lord added to the church those that should be saved. You see, the first simple thing we, we must realize, this matter 
of the ministry of witness is so crucial to the church that the church was born by it, the church exists by it, and you take it away and there is no more church. There are a lot of social gatherings left. There's a lot of religious places left, but not the church. It no longer is there. You see, it's crucial to the church, but it's also central to the church. After the birthing of the church in Jerusalem, the very next thing we see in chapter 3 there is Peter and John going into the temple at the hour of prayer. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Chapter 3 then records the very first apostolic miracle. We find then Peter preaching his second sermon. And it allows us to see in the very beginning that he gets rewarded for preaching that second sermon by getting to spend the night in jail. <laughs> Peter and John locked away in the cell. But then notice what happens in verse 4. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. I mean, day of Pentecost, that was a big day. 3,000 souls saved. He preached his second sermon. He gets thrown in jail, and yet we don't know how many women and children. There's 5,000 men saved from the preaching of the gospel. So we find that that's not a bad result, but it was all because of the gospel that was being proclaim. Now, through the, through the rest of, of chapter 4 here in Acts, when Peter and John are brought out of their, their cell and they're brought before the council, the Sanhedrin, guess what they're doing? <laughs> Boldly witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 23, when they're released, we find them going back to the church and experiencing a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us there. And then, guess what? Chapter 4, notice what it says beginning there in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. He preaches a sermon. 3,000 people are saved. The church is established. The Lord adds to the church daily those that should be saved. He goes out. He preaches a second sermon. He gets thrown in jail. He gets brought before the council. They're still witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. 5,000 men are saved at least from, from that message. When they're released, they go back to the church. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's bold witness that is taking there. The grace of God is upon all of them. Witnessing. Witnessing, witnessing. In chapter 5, the first 11 verses there record the death of Ananias and Sapphira because of their deceitfulness before the church. 
And then we find the apostles. Guess what? Witnessing again. Being thrown into prison again. And then still witnessing. Then notice down in verse 19, it says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. <laughs> of course, the high priest sends down to the jail cell. He thinks they're still down there in the morning, and all they find is an empty cell. Why? Well, those that he thought were locked, they were busy witnessing in the temple at the time. We find that chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Then we find huh, the council under conviction. Notice what it says in the next verse. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart. A lot of times when people are under conviction, they're not the happiest people in the world <laughs> and took counsel to slay them. <laughs> so since God's word had cut them to the heart and convicted them, they're just going to kill these guys and get rid of them. That's the answer. So here they are. But Gamaliel comes to their defense. And in the end, they just get another beating. <laughs> and then they're warned to never, ever speak in the name of Jesus again. Why? Because of their witness. Because of their witness. Notice down in verse 41 and 42, still in chapter 5, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Can you imagine today that we're afraid many times to stand up and be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ because we're afraid of what somebody might think about us. We're afraid of what somebody might say to us. Every time they open their mouth, they're getting thrown in prison. They're getting threatened. Their lives are being threatened. They're being locked away. They're being warned, you better never speak in that name again. You know what? They said, wow, to be worthy of this kind of treatment is such an honor to be treated like this for Jesus. 
is such an honor. You see, we're afraid to go out on the streets, to stand out there and be a witness for the Lord. Why? Well, sometimes we're just too busy. There's more important things to do than being a witness. I'm not saying that to be mean. Ask yourself. I mean, you know, it's not up to me. If you've got a good excuse not to be a witness individually with your church to the ends of the world, that's fine. It's between you and God. I love you anyway. I'm just saying everything I can see here, we've got a purpose, folks. And our purpose is to witness. But why is it? We're afraid. We go out there and knock on that door because of the reception that we might get. Yet there are people behind those doors that are lost and going to hell. I'm saying, I'm, I'm just saying, it seems to me that certainly here in Jerusalem in this first church, witnessing, witnessing, witnessing. They're not very popular for it. They're being locked away for it. They're hated for it. We find that we'll come back and look at chapter 6 later, but it's worthy to note that these deacons were chosen and they were appointed so the apostles could continue in prayer and in the Word. Of course, then one of those deacons, Stephen, guess what he goes out and does? Witnessing. He's out there witnessing. And I mean, they like it so good that he's brought before the council and he begins to witness to them. And he's loved so much for it that he becomes the first martyr of the church. They don't just plan to kill him as they did Peter and John. They do it. They stone him to death. We find all of this recorded here in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. Why? Because of his witness. Chapter 8 brings this other individual into the picture. His name was Saul. The Bible says he was consenting to the death of Stephen. That was a phenomenal witness to that man. That didn't show any fruit at that point. Matter of fact, he went out from there, man, and he just started creating havoc in the churches and, and throwing everybody into jail. Notice that Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad. Now, here he is. I'll get rid of this lot. I'll just wipe them out. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, they were all run out of town. That church, stop and think about that a minute. Think about the 8,000 plus all the others that we don't even know the numbers. That was a big church. And yet, the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were, what's the next word in your Bible? All. Scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, because of their witness. The church was so persecuted that they were all run out of town. The Bible says in verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad. <laughs> Thought he had won, didn't he? Therefore, they that were scattered abroad... <laughs> 
went everywhere preaching the word. <laughs> I mean, man, their lives have been turned upside down. They've been run out of town on a rail. And what are they doing? They're witnessing. They're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. They're standing up for their Savior. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and did what? Preached Christ unto them. You see, <laughs> witnessing. Verse 6 says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Witnessing salvation. Witnessing salvation. The remainder of chapter 8 speaks of the ministry of Philip. And as he came out of that church at Jerusalem when the persecutions came, as he was scattered with the church, he went to Samaria, he preached Christ, he witnessed. Then, of course, we find him specifically there being a witness to the Ethiopian eunuch. What happened? Well, he believed and was baptized. He got saved, praise God. Verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, witnessing, witnessing, witnessing. Chapter 9 begins with the conversion of Saul. Then we have Paul on the scene. And this man spends the rest of his life, guess what? Witnessing, witnessing, preaching Jesus Christ. That was his main goal in life. That was his aim. That's what he was there for. You can continue right through the book of Acts, and we don't have time this morning, but you'll find person after person, church after church. What are they doing? Always witnessing. We find those missionaries being sent out, not just witnessing in their own town. They begin to send people out to the places where there is nobody. Paul and Barnabas are the first, and then there's others to follow, witnessing, witnessing, witnessing at home and to the ends of the world. I read this, and it was hard. You come to chapter 17. You come to chapter 17. A church is founded in the city of Thessalonica. Jews, there were some Jews there that really were very, very unhappy about it. Surprise. We don't find people being thrilled most places. But all that they would say about us, what they said about that early church, chapter 17, verse 6, the last part of that verse says, these that have turned the world, upside down are come hither also. <laughs> Man, these guys have gone turning the world upside down and now they're here. How were they turning the world upside down? What were they worried about? Their witness, their witness. People were being saved. Lives were being changed. I'm saying to you, I'm sure the church and we'll see, they were doing lots of things, but the one thing that was central to everything was the witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was their purpose and that's what they were fulfilling and that's how the churches were growing and that's how more souls were being saved and that's why God was giving them more. You see, the first church, it was birthed through the witness of the gospel. It's crucial. You can't take it away and still have the church. Every New Testament church since then, every, 
no exception, listen to me, every New Testament church since the first one that was birthed at Jerusalem, every one of them, they've been birthed, they've been born, they've been brought into existence one way, and that is through the witness of the gospel. I'm not talking about a building that goes up that calls itself a church. I'm talking about a true New Testament church can only be built, can only be birthed, can only exist with the gospel witness. Every New Testament church, that's the way it's come into existence. That's the way it exists. When a church loses its witness, it will spiritually die. I don't care how many people are sitting on the seats. I don't care how many social activities that they are involved in. Without the witness of the gospel, a true church will not exist. It cannot exist. It is impossible for it to exist. The ministry of witness, it's central to the New Testament church. The witnessing of the gospel, it might be through preaching. It might be through teaching. You see, we find them preaching and teaching. It might be through your life. It might be through your death. It might be through trials and persecutions. It might be locally, it might be to the ends of the world somewhere. But it's the ministry of witnessing, always. Oh, if we lose sight that that's what our life is about as a Christian, if we lose sight of the fact that's what our church is about, that's what's important. That's what's more important than it. But, you know, we can, we can, we can lose a lot of things and still be a church. But if we lose our witness, we've lost Christ. We've lost everything. We'll look at a few other things next week. Oh, but I'm just speaking from my heart this morning, folks. If we're going to be a New Testament church, the ministry of witness has got to be central to everything we do. It's crucial for us, but it's got to be central. Jesus Christ himself the gospel, that's what he came for. That's what he left us for. And if we get that lost in all the other things, then we've lost. We're going to sing for our closing hymn what I hope that you can sing as a prayer from your heart this morning. Certainly a song that I love dearly. It says, set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire, Lord. Can we say that and mean it this morning? Sometimes we're afraid for God to set us afire, aren't we? It may, uh, it may cost us, but today that's what we need, folks. If there's anything that we as a church need to do more of in the coming year, oh, we're going to look at lots of other things. The church has got other functions, but boy, if we cease to witness, then we shall not succeed. We shall not fulfill our purpose we shall not accomplish what the Lord wants us to accomplish unless Jesus Christ, he is the preeminence. It's the witness of him. 